Oh, did y'all hear that? Hold on. Yeah, that's new. Oh, that gives you a warning that lets you know, uh, you know, the meanings. Did did that pop up anybody's screen? Yes, ma'am. I heard. Yep, we all had to hit accept. Accept. Yeah. 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 That's okay. interesting. Well, that that's, that's actually, actually pretty good, uh, especially in, well, that's when you get technical, especially in states where you have to notify the people that you're being recorded. Yeah, so I learned that from TV shows, <laughs> that you have to give permission to people to see here. Um, yeah, that was new. All right, so now we're recording. All right, so, nope, not that screen. Here, wrong screen. There we go. There we go. Old Testament survey. So today we are. Let's see. So today we are learning more about the authorship and date of each book of the Old Testament history. So now we are in the history books. Um, previously, we were. Uh, we just came out of the Pentateuch. Here's another question. What is another name for the Pentateuch? There are several names for the Pentateuch. The Torah. The Torah. What else? The law. The law. And there's probably one more. I don't know if I... Moses. Say that again. It was called the Books of Moses. That's right. Yep. Good. Yep. So those are those are um, names uh, of the Pentateuch. So we got the Book of Moses, we got the Law, we got the Torah. So good, excellent. Um, and so now we are becoming more familiar with the purpose and basic outline of each book of Old Testament history, and learn more about the summary of each book of the of, of the Old Testament. And so now we're leaving the Pentateuch and we're going into the his, history books. Um, the 12 uh, books, does anybody remember the name that I told you the next 12 books are called? It's like Deuteronomistic or something Ooh, like that. Hey, yes, Deuteronomistic. Come on, yes. Sharon, bring us home. Come bring on. us home. <laughs> Go ahead, Sharon. All right, here's another question for y'all. Why is it called Deuteronomistic? What are we about to get an account of by reading these books? The number of laws. How Israel steward the land. There you go. Boom. How Israel steward the land. Yep. So from, from Joshua to Nehemiah talks about Israel's stewardship, whether or not they were obedient or disobedient, how they took care of the land, how they lost the land. <laughs> so we're, that's, that's, that's exactly. So, uh, here's a, here's another question. Why? So we see that the word Deuteronomistic is derived from the word Deuteronomy. Why? Um, why are we pulling from Deuteronomy? Well, the stewardship of the land would have been determined by the law, right? How well they were following uh, the rules and regs that God gave them in the law. And so mm -hmm. we have to get back to that foundational understanding to really evaluate. 
Right, right. Because because what happened in Deuteronomy was the second giving of the law to this new generation. And so now uh, what they do with what Moses given unto them will be told in, in, in these uh, in these next 12 books. So, yes, yes, that's good. So um, so that's why it's called Deuteronomistic books. OK, so but they're basically looking at Deuteronomy how Moses uh, taught them and gave them a law and gave them the verses and to see how they did with that, their stewardship with that. Okay. So this is, this is what we're jumping into now. Okay. So the next section in our study will include the continuation of the framework of the old Testament Jewish history. Uh, Dale, go ahead. You have your hand up. I do. Um, with that other half of the Deuteronomistic, would the nomistic be, is that like nomadic because they kept losing and gaining land? It, you can, yeah, you can, you can say that. Um, so it's basically, uh, I guess their steward, their stewardship. So the, the second, second account or, uh, what am I going to say? Uh, the, I'm trying to get my words together. The second generation, yeah, so the second people, the second people account of, of how their stewardship. So yeah, so you, so you could say no, nomadic or a nomad, I guess that would be human. So yeah, you could, you could say it just like that. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. Yep. <clears throat> I was trying to make sense of the, the, the right. second half of the word. Yep, I got you. Yep. So you can say it just like that. So uh, Bible students should commit themselves to a basic understanding of the chronology and timeline of major events during the Old Testament time. So we understand by now that our Bible is not in chronological order. Okay. The Protestant canon that we have is not in, in chronological order. It is in, uh, does anybody, re- oh, let me see if anybody remember, does anybody remember what order we have the book, our Bible in? So it's not. Pro- thematic. thematic. I didn't hear you, I'm sorry. Thematic. Thematic, and what's another word for thematic? Or what's a, not, not another word for thematic, but what, I guess what order, as far as how the order of books we got, we have, what do we call our order of books? Well, the progressive revelation of God is what we always talk about. I mean, is it an order of the um, covenants? No, the order of the list of books that we have. What do we call them? The canon. The yeah. right. So they're in canonical order. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah okay. that's the canonical order. So we, we go off the list of books that were that were given to us. So that's the order that we follow. But now we're looking um, at scriptures in a chronological. <clears throat> we're doing a timeline view uh, of the Bible. Okay. Uh, any other? Does someone have a question? Tracy, you was almost back on the team. You was almost. You you getting there. <laughs> I had it. I had it right. I said the canon. <laughs> almost. <laughs> My Lord. It's tough here. Right here. Mm-hmm. So, 
And so, um, and so before this, this, this program or, or just through your um, biblical career, you may not have been strong um, at timeline and dates and geography and things of that sort. So I, I um, implore you, I, I challenge you to take the challenge of learning about dates and timeline and geography because it will help you understand and interpret scripture correctly. Like for instance, when we talked about uh, the fact that Moses actually made it into the promised land for years, we've been told that Moses did not make it into the promised land. Um, and matter of fact, when we look at the, geo, uh, the, the map um, of, here's a, here's a map of the, the Transjordan. When we look at it, Moses conquered on this side. So he conquered the east side. And now we're going to read about the, the call for Joshua to conquer the west side of the promised land. So this is the promised land right here. Okay, this is what was promised to Israel. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm jumping ahead, but I just wanted to clarify this, that uh, over, well, you don't see it here. Over here is where is where uh, Moses, so Edom, Moab, over in this area, that's where Moses conquered. And now the red, when we get to Joshua, this is the land that Joshua conquered. And then after Joshua died, there was still land that needed to be conquered there. And so if you have, if you don't see a map of it, you, you will, um, you will go with what they always say that, that Moses never made it to the promised land. But when you go deeper, that has a lot of theological consequence because those who did not make it to the promised land were not, they were, uh, they were not considered saved. So you're saying if Moses didn't make it to the promised land, you're saying that Moses is not saved? That's a big theological statement right there. And so now we see when we look at the map that Moses did make it to the promised land. He was on the east side of the promised land. We can say that Moses was technically saved, okay? Because you'll hear scholars talk about the salvation of the Jews and things of things of that sort, because their standard of salvation is different from ours. It's based on the obedience of God. And so since they decided not to be obedient, they were no longer saved and they didn't make it to the land. So they weren't, they lost their salvation. And so, so now that's why geography is so important in order to put your eyes on, on the land and things of that sort. Anybody have a comment or question? I have a question because when you read it, when when God tells him he won't make it in, so mm -hmm. he was just talking about crossing over. Mm -hmm. Crossing over, yep. So so Moses didn't cross over the Jordan, but he was on the Trans Jordan. So he was in the land, but he didn't cross over. Yep. So the the uh, the promised land. As we see here, the let's try to zoom in here on the Jordan River. I probably have to probably come out of it. Hold on here. Let me zoom. You probably can't see it. This is not when I zoom in, it's not really that good. But this is the Jordan right here. And so all the land, all the land on this side here. So Moses was over here. 
And so he didn't cross over to see the rest of the land. So that's this is where like the the land is. You know what I'm saying? This, this is where all of the the tribes uh, they reside in over here. But Moses only made it over here. Dale, go ahead. Do you have a picture um, or a map that shows where Mount Sinai is? And according to the rest of that? Uh, probably not in these maps here. I'm going to have to uh, grab to where it. he came from to where actually he made it to. Yeah, I'm going to have to pull up that map. Let's see if I if I have it here. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Let me see if I have it in my folder. Access it real quick. Probably. This makes you pay. This makes you pay attention to those maps that are actually inside those paper bibles, right? That we was out, that that all, that as kids we was all just looking at and wondering, like, hmm, what's going on back here? Right. right. Yep. Oh, so there. <laughs> yep. There you go. Right there. Those maps <laughs> inside your paper bible are so is are so important. Yep. <laughs> Um, let me see here. Maybe not. I probably can't access it. I try to uh, name these maps. There's so many maps. Uh, oh, I was looking for that map too. Um, <laughs> so let's see here. Nope. I'm gonna have to maybe next time. I'll. Oh wait, what's this one? Um, maybe next one, next class. I'll make sure to to bring that up. Uh, it's taking a minute to come up, but yeah, I'll I'll make sure to to have that one. Let's see here, sister one. Oh, okay. I think I think this is this is it. This is it. Okay, hold on here. Don't be spinning on me now. Come on here. All right. So the wilderness is down here. And they went this way. Because remember in Numbers, we see they were in Edom and Moab. So they we can't see your cursor. Oh, there it is. Okay. Can I see it now? Okay. So they went they went this way to the to the right. So you see the wilderness of Zen, and they went this way. Okay. And so now they're about to conquer this. The What's in green is Joshua, what, what Joshua uh, conquered. Okay. So yeah, now we see, now we can really see it. Now, like you see you have the difference of looking at the map. Now you can see their, their conquest or their expedition and, and how they came in to, to conquer the land here. Okay, so, yep. Uh, let me close that one out. All right, cool. Let's hop into, let's see here. Okay, so we're on we were on that one. So let's look at the authorship of um, of Joshua here. So in your book, let me go back here. Uh, in your book on, of course I don't have the page number, but let's see here, Joshua. So I have the electronic version. Actually, I have a paper in front of me. So um, the authorship of Joshua here. Eighty two. Eighty two. Okay. Yeah, I heard, heard the page number. So um, when, when looking at the authorship, let's look at the slide first. It said there are a few, few Old Testament books that the internal evidence is both for and against a certain author. The book of Joshua is uh, one such case. 
among conservative scholars, opinions is divided on the authorship of this book. Jewish tradition assigns the book to Joshua. The truth of the matter is that the external evidence such as that may well outweigh the scales in favor of Joshua's authorship. And so you see there's, there's a lot of um, internal um, evidence that kind of goes against um, Joshua being, being the author of this book. Um, so in your book, let me see here. Okay, so let's start at the, the top, um, the first sentence there under authorship. It says, among conservative scholars, opinion is, is divided on the authorship of this book. Jewish tradition assigns the book to Joshua. It is clear that Joshua did write some things found in this book. The author was surely an eyewitness of these events as the details given reflect a precise knowledge of, of, of events. And so, um, and so that's where I got, that's what I got down the bottom about the internal events. So when we look at the internal events, um, here's a, here's a, uh, the first, the first scripture here in chapter three, uh, verse 14, it says, so when the people set out from the tents of the Passover Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon um, as uh, those bearing the Ark had come as far as Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down towards the Sea of Arabah, the, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over the opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of Jordan and all of the Israel was passing over dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. And so here, this example here shows us the details. Look how detailed this account is. This, this account cannot be told from somebody from who, are, who was far removed from the situation hundreds years ago. They, they won't be able to give you the details about how they stand on dry ground and the feet of the Jordan and all that stuff. This has to come from someone who has a firsthand account or was an eyewitness of these events here. So that's, that's where a lot of scholars are saying like, this is too detailed from some, for somebody else to be writing um, this account that has to be written by Joshua or somebody who was with Joshua. Okay. Um, the next one is the people came out of Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and they encamped at Gilgal, the east of Jericho, and those 12 stones which they took out of Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. So now we have the issue that we have with Moses with the third, the third, uh, third voice writing here. And so, um, uh, so now someone is saying Joshua set up at Gilgal. So if somebody was writing, they will say I set up at Gilgal. But now we come to an understanding. What do we? What What did we conclude when looking at um, when Moses being the author? What do we conclude when it came to their literary style of writing? Uh, similar to ours is in terms of editing. Uh, you were saying that like somebody probably went in to edit to connect some of the dots uh, of Moses's writings. Yep, we see that. Yep, and we definitely see that in in Joshua's writing too. That an editor may have co connected some dots. And there's one more. Um, there's one more 
uh, writing style that we see that's kind of kind of weird because it's not it's not like our writing style. We wouldn't write in this person, but that it was common for them to write. Like third person? Yeah, in third person, that's right. Yeah, it was very common for them to write in third person. As we see with Moses, he he uh, writes in third person. And so it was very common to see this. So they're, they're thinking the same thing with Joshua's writing. Joshua's just writing in third person. So it could be an editor that is um, that is putting the dots together, or it could be that Joshua's writing in third person. Okay, and so here's here's one that that goes against Joshua's authorship. After these things, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old, and they buried him in his whole his own inheritance at uh, Timnasserah which is in the hill country of Ephraim. And it goes on and on. And so here, this is a, this is a the same example we had in Deuteronomy uh, when, when uh, talking about Moses' death. Like how in the world could Moses write about his own death and be so detailed about it? So here, this is what uh, Ricky was talking about. Uh, another editor coming in and writing the, and filling in the gaps. And so now he's talking about um the death of joshua and how they buried him and um it's and, and now it talks about in this verse here about 33 if we didn't know and eliezer the son of aaron died and they buried him at Gebei in the town of phineas his son and all that stuff someone would have known this information and just filled in the gaps okay so we can say joshua was primarily the author and so we have, you know, secondaries, you know, the editors and the scribes and things of that sort, just tightening up the story. But that doesn't take away from uh, Joshua's authorship. OK, um, Eva, go ahead. Yeah, that reminds me when we were studying the synoptics and even mm -hmm. with um, the uh, the writings of John, how in the the authorship of uh, let's just go with John that even he did not include himself as if he was talking about himself but he uh, will write in a way that you know you would think somebody else wrote it because he did not write it in a way where he say I John or anything like that mm -hmm. yeah yeah right there right there that example there with John because he was definitely good at doing that that strengthens our argument of, of of them writing in third person. We see it throughout the book, not just the Old Testament, but even some of our uh, New Testament authors wrote the same way. Yep, that's good. Thank you for that one. Yeah, she just made me think about, I think it's in John when he calls him, so he doesn't say himself, but he'll say the one whom Jesus loves. Right, right, right. Yeah, we crack up at that one, but yeah, 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 so yep. yeah. He talks, he talks in that way there. So um, let's see here, the place and date. Make sure I'm on, I'm on task here. I'm running out of time here. Um, this is the writing of Joshua. If you subscribe to uh, Joshua's authorship took place after the nation of Israel had reached the promised land somewhere around 1390 BC. So you see, they started their journey in 1445 BC and they finally made it to the promised land in 1390 BC. Okay. So it took them about what? About 50 years. When you do the math, 40 to 50 years, uh, they, they got to uh, the, prom the promised land. Okay. Um, Let's see here. 
in the book, in your book under purpose of Joshua, um, did I put it here? Yeah, I put it here. The purpose of Joshua is to record the conquest of land of Canaan uh, by Israel there and therefore showing the faithfulness of God in making Abraham a great nation. So here we see kind of the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant of, of um, creating a uh, in making uh, Abraham a great nation. And so when you're reading some type, some commentaries, they may put the book of Joshua with the other with the other Pentateuch books and call it a hextitute because of how it connects and fulfills um, that covenant of Abraham. It just connects the story. And so they think it just, that should just go with it or whatnot. So you may see it called a Pentateuch or some commentators may call it a hextitute because they will consider Joshua part of that group of books. But um, so we're looking at it as part of the Deuteronomistic um, because the gist of it is talking about their, their conquest and their settlement in land. And so, uh, so that's the purpose of Joshua to show um, their conquering of land. So like I said earlier, the pink shows us the land that Joshua uh, was able to conquer. And it was, um, and so then he began to divide the land uh, amongst the 12 tribes. Um, and so uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. And so the, the, the tribes were responsible for conquering that land that, that Joshua gave, like cleaning up, going in and cleaning up, um, destroying and uh, driving people out of the land. Okay, so Joshua, he did the, the primary conquering, but then they had to go into the cities and all that stuff and make sure that no, no Canaanites, no other nations were in that land. And we see when we get into Judges, when you begin to read Judges, you will see that they did not do that. They, the, when we read Joshua and Judges, you see that they, they began to um, harbor a lot of the, the stuff from the previous um, nations and God got angry. We read that in um, Joshua, God got angry. Um, and so they had to go in, they had to basically say who got the goods from, I think it was from um, Aiken, uh, from the land of Aiken and someone was hiding them underground and it made God very angry and and then they had they stoned that person who stole the goods from from the people of Aiken and things of that sort and so now we begin to see their disobedience now we begin to see um when we get to to judges why um why uh God had to raise up judges after Joshua so here um with this land that's not conquered uh, this land, uh, we will see when we continue to look at the Old Testament, we will see that it was now it's the elders' responsibility um, to conquer this land here. So that's when we get into the story of the Philistines, because this land right here, the green part right here, that was um, ready to be conquered and things of that sort. And so we're going to definitely continue in the conquest, but this is like the first part of the conquest that God allowed Joshua to conquer. Okay. Um, and so here I wanted to, to show, I think I already showed it where uh, Edom and Moab and where Moses um, conquered. And now here's the journey, their um, journey on the, on the uh, trans Jordan. When you're reading the book of numbers, you begin to look at their journeys and now you see, you know, the, the pathway they, they took when you're reading the book of numbers, just connecting it all. Okay. So um, we're looking at um, 
the special consideration, um, I think we covered, let me see, did we do years covered? Uh, uh, let's go to years covered in the book real quick. This says the book of Joshua covers about 30 years of Israel's history. However, the emphasis is on the five to seven years based on the testimony of Caleb of Joshua's military activities. So after the conclusion of the conquest, of Canaan by Joshua, 85-year-old Caleb, recalled that he was 40 years old when he went and spied out the land in the days of Moses, okay? So um, let's see, out of the 45 years, sorry, yeah, out of the 45 years that followed the event, um, 38 or 39 of those were spent wandering in the wilderness, leaving five to seven years for the conquest under Joshua, okay? So then you begin to read in the book about Joshua assigned tasks, um, uh, the first task was to destroy uh, Canaanite power. Um, and so you see at that last two sentences of this paragraph under uh, Joshua's assigned task, it says Joshua obeyed the Lord and completed his assignment, assigned task. Unfortunately, as history reveals, Israel did not. So Joshua did what the Lord told him to do. But now we're going to start reading about how Israel did not do uh, what God instructed for them to do. Okay. And so um, I definitely encourage, if you have not read um, through uh, the book of Joshua, you want to read it. This is when we um, read about the Jericho walls falling down. This is when, when um, Joshua was fighting and the sun stood still. So it's some really cool stories um, in, in this book. So I, I encourage you to read it. Um, when Joshua was conquering the land, he did it in three parts. He did it the central Canaan, um, he had victory over the southern kings and victory over the northern kings. And in the book, I believe he conquered over it was a 31 kings, 31 or 30, some thir over 30 kings that he um that he defeated. Okay. So any questions? I'm just kind of speeding through because I'm I'm late on time, but um any questions about Joshua or any comments? Uh Ricky. Uh, some kind of just came to mind when you said they sent out scouts, they were on the southern part of that map and, uh, the Philistines, would they have already been there because he mentioned, uh, they mentioned that they saw giants and isn't that where, uh, Goliath? Yeah. Yeah. We're about to hit into them stories there. Yeah. That's okay. the area. Yeah. Those are the giants. And so they were coming, like you, yeah, like you said, they're coming from the south and they began to see they're coming over here and they're they're about to conquer this, you know, this bottom half here. And so yeah, they probably ran into some, they ran into some giants over in that area. So yep. Yeah, that's where we're about to hit hit and the next books and in Kings and Chronicles, we're gonna be reading about the uh, the Philistines and things of that sort. So yep. Anybody else? All right, cool beans. I'm going to go over just real quick. Uh, it's not that much. Let's see here. Judges. Let's see here. Assign. Let's see. We did that. Oh, possessing divine. I talked about divine of, of the land. Um, and then the last message to, to Joshua. Um, let's see here. The mass, last message of Joshua. So this is before um, he he died. Um, you see it on page. Uh, I don't know what page. I don't have my let's see my book on hand. Let's see here. Ninety. Know. Ninety. You see the last the last message 
Um, so he, he exhorts the people to faithfully serve the Lord and to be obedient to his commandments. And so it's the same thing as Moses told the second generation, just be obedient. And Joshua tells uh, this generation again to be obedient to, to God. Okay. So now we're hitting into Judges. So the authorship it says Jews and Jewish and Christian tradition assigns the book of Judges to Samuel. Though there is some lack of certainty, the internal evidence for Samuel authorship is actually relatively strong by Old Testament standards. I agree with the author that we can assign a reliable window for the book to have been written between the period of Judges and King David. Everything we know from scripture makes Samuel um, the most likely person to have authored the book around a thousand BC. Okay. Um, let's see here. Okay, so when we get into the purpose, the purpose is that Judges was written to record the experience of Israel during an era of theocracy. The book set forth a great failures um, of Israel during this period. So now we see after Jacob, uh, not Jacob, after Joshua uh, leaves the scene, God did not appoint another person after Joshua. Now um, it's, it's on the elders. So now we see uh, from, from this point to the basically the end of where we even until today, the standard of leadership has always been plurality. So, um, so Mo, with Moses, he was the leader for forty years. Jake, uh, Joshua was the leader for another about forty, about forty years or so. Um, and so, from that point, from eighty years, the the leadership has always been one person over over the nation and so now with the with now um, god did not raise up another person he has elders on the scene and now he's about to raise up judges and so um so now we see theocracy being in play so it was always god's desire to rule over his people and to raise up priests to carry out his law and things of that sort but because of their disobedience um because of their sin god had to raise up uh, raise up judges. Okay. And so we see, um, let's see here. Um, when we get to under the concept of theocracy, I want to read this part real quick. Um, it says that before Moses died, Joshua was selected by God to be Israel's leader, but no provision was made for a leader when Joshua died. Why? Because it was not God's intention to have his nation ruled by one man. So, leaders were necessary um, in the era when the nation uh, was being formed. But once Israel had their people, law, and land, God himself was to be their supreme rulers of theocracy. This was the ideal form of government for Israel and one that will bring the finest blessings of greatest satisfaction. In theocracy, the people will live under God's law with priests being those who taught and administer God's law the theocracy was the highest and best form of government. Uh, and one day it will be reinstituted with the Lord Jesus Christ as a supreme ruler. So we see, um, so we see that it wasn't always God's plan um, to have a one person over, over uh, a people. He just used them to kind of bring, you know, bring them out and to teach them. But after that, it was supposed to be on God, but because of their disobedience, 
Um, so now we see with the judges, it says the judges appeared as significant people during theocracy, but they came on the scene only because of sin and failure. They were, in a sense, unnecessary to the theocracy. Judges were introduced when it when it became necessary to rescue Israel from bad situations. And then we see um, there's there's a map I want uh, under. Um, Part D, the cycle. So Israel will serve the Lord. They will um, sin and fall into idolatry. They um, became slaves. Um, let's say uh, they cried unto the Lord, and then the, a judge was raised up, and then Israel was delivered. They, I mean, it was the cycle on and on again. So that's why um, God had to raise up judges. But the judges were not one person over over the, the the nation so when you begin to uh read and understand judges they were actually over a certain region and so you may have two or three judges existing at one time and so um here's a map of of the judges here because when you let me see here um i think when i was i can't remember what what page it was on when i was reading about um uh, about the, let me see here. No, I don't remember, but it was, it was saying that the, 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 there, there has to be a time where there was multiple judges on the scene. And as you see here, um, here are the judges that were assigned to various areas and they basically kept everything in place there. Okay. And one of those judges, we know, we know a few judges, we know Deborah, we know Gideon, and we know Sam Samson. I think we know those three, but there were <laughs> there are many more judges that existed during that time. And uh and Othniel or Othniel, he was actually the, the youngest brother of Caleb, and he was considered a judge. Okay. So that's that's pretty much the account with judges. Um talks about um Israel's sinful state, and then um a judge was being raised up and brought and brought them out. And it was just a, a, a continual cycle that that happened. Okay, so I think that that takes about uh, it was about four. Let me see here. Um, so it talks about their in, incomplete obedience, and then it talks about from Judges of Israel chapters three to sixteen, and then it talks about the era of Judges chapters seventeen to twenty-one. Okay, so any questions about Judges? or comments. I don't think judges, someone, go ahead. I thought I heard somebody. Well, I just had a question. Um, like in the beginning of um, the judges, uh, like on page 91, it said um, several times in the book, the phrase, there was no king in Israel is used. This suggests that the author was writing in a time where there was a king in Israel and was informing his readers of that important fact that kind of confused me because it kind of, it sounds like contradictory, but that was literally the only question I had. Like, why does that, why is that mentioned? And why do they say there's a king where well, there isn't a king when in fact there was? Yeah. So this, this statement here is um, given the evidence of someone else um, writing, writing the book of judges rather than Samuel, because of the fact that it mentions in judgment and judges that there wasn't a king at this time. Well, Samuel, he was he he, he was around because uh, he uh, ordained or, or blessed Saul, 
but to say, you know, to write to write that in the book, that that kind of gives us a, a evidence that someone else had to have written the book of Judges. The fact that said that there was no king in the land, and it was some other parts too. Let's see here. It says that the book also says that the Jebusites were still in control of Jerusalem, a situation that changed when David became king and removed them. So these statements therefore point to a real possibility that Judges was written during the monarchy period, but before the days of David. And so they're trying to zoom, they're trying to zero in uh, to the, to the author, but there was some phrases in, in the book, um, that kind of like, uh, it may be Samuel, but it may be somebody else because of these statements here. So that's, that's why, um, that's why the, these, um, it was, it, it was said that there was a king in Israel. Um, if you go on, it says the reign of Saul, um, is his best estimate and the sent and Samuel would fit very well. So the authorship of Judges is assigned to Samuel. So they're, they're basically try, just trying to drill down on who could have written the book of Judges. So it had to be somebody that knows something about kings and it had to be somebody that dealt with the Jebusites and that was right before David time. So that's why they just kind of zeroed in, had to have been Samuel. So that's why. I hope that answered your question. Yeah, it makes sense. Thank you. Oh, okay. Cool, cool, cool beans. Um, so I know I'm out of time, but I just have Ruth to do. And Ruth is only four, four, um, shoot, four chapters. And we see that from the, actually from the chart, that Ruth does not move the storyline. Ruth happens at the same time of Judges. And in that, um, when you're reading the commentary with uh, Ruth, it, said, it says that um, not all of Israel was disobedient. There were some people who were obedient to God. Uh, during during this time, and here, here we we um, are given an account about Ruth, and so uh, we got Ruth and Naomi, and we read about uh, their faithfulness, and uh, we we the, there's a term that's used constantly, the Kingsman Redeemer, and so uh, Boaz is considered the Kingsman Redeemer, and um, definitely understand what Kingsman Re Redeemer is is someone who uh, basically claims a, a land of. Let me see here. If it's, uh, what's it? Let me make sure I say it right. Um, let's see here. I have better. I have it highlighted here. So let me see here. Um, if anybody find it, let me know. Or it's probably something. Okay, here we go. Under chapter three, it says in the in the law a man was to be a kingsman redeemer when it was necessary to buy back their inheritance for a poor relative or to buy back a person from slavery and to build a family of deceased relative. Acting on Naomi's instructions, Ruth went to Boaz and claimed his protection since he was near a near relative of Naomi. Boaz was willing and anxious to do this, but there existed a relative closer to Naomi than he. But when you go into chapter four, it says going to the gate of the city, Boaz took the necessary legal steps to care for the matter. At the end, Boaz married Ruth and they had a son. Uh, they named Obed and Obed was the grandfather of David the king. And so here, um, they equate God as being the Kingsman Redeemer, redeeming those out of the land of Egypt and bringing them into another land, basically claiming their land for them. And so, um, and so we, that's um, the account of this story here um, in, the, in the book of Ruth. Okay, so let's see here. Um, I think uh, when it talks about authorship, it talks about 
uh, the great deal of Jewish traditions come from the Jewish Talmud, including included is the tradition for Samuel's authorship of the Book of Ruth. So they believe that Samuel wrote the Book of Ruth. Um, that is their tradition. So what is Jewish Talmud? Um, it is the Talmud. Is there is the um, it's the oral tradition of the Jews. So I know you guys heard of the Mishnah. So the Mishnah is under the Talmud. Um, so part of the Talmud is the Mishnah in the, was it the Jerome? The Jerome, the I always say it wrong, the Jerome or something like that. Um, that's that's a part of the of the Talmud. And so their the Jewish tradition say, says that Samuel wrote the book of Ruth. Okay, so I have these notes here um, in the, of course, on the on the web page um, in the um, Google Drive. So if you want to read and learn a, a, about the, the Jewish Talmud, because this will actually, uh, Jamara, that's what it is, the Mishnah and the Jamara, because this is going to come back again, because uh, when we when we looked at the New Testament, we see that they held up the Jewish Talmud over over the law. So this is what Jesus was talking about, the traditions of man. This is and this is the Talmud that he was talking about. OK, so um, so that's pretty much the book of Ruth um, talked about uh, Ruth and Naomi and Boaz and their and Boaz being their redeemer. And th this is a story that shows um, the nation of Israel that not all people were disobedient, that there were some obedient people. There's always the remnant amongst God's people. And so this right here shows us that remnant of people who were obedient to God. So any other questions or comments and things of that sort? I know I kind of sped. Yeah, kind of, kind of find it interesting that um, even though in the law they were forbidden to marry like a Moabite and yeah. all these other people, but God still used even Rahab and Ruth in the bloodline of Jesus or um, not the bloodline, but yeah. Yeah, so, so that's interesting to me um, that they were forbidden to marry him, but it was still part of his plan. <laughs> right. But the thing is, you see that that's part of God's progressive revelation. At one point, God forbid them. But then another point, God allowed it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so we see with um, uh, what's her, what, what name you just said, because a thought just came to my mind. Uh, Rahab. Rahab. Rahab married the, the prince of Judah. So that's how she became an Israelite. And so she, when you, when you get real technical, even though she was a Gentile, but technically she was not because she married a prince uh, of the, the Judah tribe. And so, and so, yeah, so one point God disallowed it, but then you see that God began to allow it. And so that's, and so we think when we read stuff like that, we think in like, oh, the Bible contradicting itself one point god is doing this and next point they're doing that no it's just part of god's progressive revelation and so that's something that we got to keep in mind too so yeah yeah that's good stuff right there um anybody else and in god's progressive revelation understanding that uh you know if it served his purpose he allowed it because yeah. it served his purpose yeah Yep, yep, it did. It served its purpose. Like one point, it, it may not have. He didn't allow it. But then, because it, like you said, it served its purpose, he's allow, he is allowing it now. And so and it don't make him fickle. Don't make No, it's just part of his plan. And that's his sovereignty, period. <laughs> Tracy, go ahead. Um, 
I just wondered um, how much you found in the, I guess maybe the scholarly discussion about the authorship of Ruth, because uh, traditionally Samuel was taken to be the author, but then Samuel would not have known that she became the grandmother or the great grandmother of, of David. So, <laughs> you know, that, I mean, was that added by somebody or? Did he could, he get into could, profit mode and what you know what I mean? I don't it, think <laughs> literary. It could be just from editing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We can we can get off theological and say, oh, you know, Samuel was a prophet. He saw. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> but the literary response would be uh, more than likely there was an editor. An editor. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just didn't know if you found any controversial discussions about whether Samuel really authored it because of that part at yeah. the end where they add that detail he couldn't possibly have known in his humanity. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Any anybody else? Okay. Cool. Very good. So I, I know I went over time. I was I was oof, I was edging it, but we had a great review in the beginning, and I think that was necessary for us to kind of put the storyline together so that we can have an understanding of what's going on. And so uh, definitely continue to to read um, these sections here, and also next week we are going to look at um, first and second. Kings and first, first and second Samuel and first and second Kings. Okay, so we're going to kind of look at those um, together. So, um, so if there are any questions or comments, I'm gonna go ahead and pray out. And I pray that everybody should have a book. Dale, I missed your mom last uh, Saturday. So uh, Trish, if you're still on, uh, I need to make sure that I uh, get get you a book for for Dale. So uh, I just have to. <laughs> remember to grab you so uh so yeah definitely i think everybody should have a book uh by now uh, is dale coming to church today <laughs> i will be at work there i apologize sir oh okay all right i didn't know if you was gonna come and get your own book or not all right lord have mercy we talked about this last week <laughs> he said you weren't gonna be <laughs> So, okay. All right. All right. Cool being. So, um, yeah, definitely keep reading and keep asking questions and quizzing each other. Quiz yourself to make sure you know what you know and what you don't know, you figure out. <laughs> so, um, so I'll go ahead and uh, pray out. Father God, we thank you for this day. Thank you, oh God, um, for us uh, coming together and to learn about your word, oh God. We thank you for your progressive revelation and we understand and uh, begin to understand the, the process of things, the pattern and the unity of your word, Father. For now, things are starting not to look scattered, but we're starting to put it together, God. We think we're so thankful for the Holy Spirit uh, for illuminating this word to us, Father, that it began to, to make some sense. And then and that we began to, uh, as we uh, are understanding the context of scripture, we're able to to move on to interpretation and to application of scripture. I'm excited, God, that you are calling these people together, Father, to become disciples, to become stewards of your word, Father. And um, God, I pray that they will continue in this journey, Father. And I pray that they will not be weary and well-doing, God. And so, God, I bless you and I lift you up and I praise you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.
You guys have a good week, and I'll see you all next week. Amen. God bless you all. Love you guys. Talk to you later.